welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Silk. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello, today I will speak with Dr. Christian Bush. Christian is an internationally known expert in the areas of innovation, purpose-driven leadership, and serendipity. Christian is the author of the book, The Mindset Serendipity, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. He is the director of the CGA Global Economy Program at NYU, and also teaches at the London School of Economics. He is the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose and the Sandbox Network and the formal director of LSE Innovation Lab. He has worked with senior executives and governments around the world. He is the member of the World Economic Forum, Expert Forum, and fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and on the Thinker 50 radar list of the 30 thinkers most likely to shape the future. In this podcast, we will speak about how we can cultivate serendipity and create better results for ourselves and others and increase creativity and innovations and make our life richer. So stay with us. So I'm really excited to speak with you today. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you. And I want to start by asking you, you know, a personal question. If you can share with us about a leader that influenced you early on, someone who made a difference for you and inspired you and made you go your own path. I mean, it's so many people who did that, but I think one of them probably is uh, Marlon Parker. Uh, Marlon Parker, he's a social entrepreneur in the Cape Flats in Cape Town in South Africa. And I remember around 10-ish years ago when I went the first time to, to work with them and you know, we collaborate a lot. I asked them, well, what is the question I should never ask you coming into your context? What is something, you know, that all these people who want to do good and they come into your context, what do they ask you that you've wished they wouldn't always ask you? And he said, well, never ask me as a first question what I need. Because if you ask me as a first question what I need, you put me into the role of the victim, the beneficiary, someone who needs to benevolent. But if you come in and say, what's already here? What can we do together? You can still think about resourcing, but we meet on the same level first. We are meeting as partners and not as kind of in this kind of weird asymmetry. And you know, that really stuck with me because I think when I think a lot about what drives me and what drives a lot of the people around me, we just want to leave this world feeling, hey, look, we did we did something meaningful here and, and it had some sort of impact. And I think a lot of times, though, it might come from the right place, but then we might mess things up because we think, oh, we know this better or we can do this. And then actually local communities know best. And so to me, that the kind of real key learning was, look, the, the most important thing as a leader is to first listen to what people locally actually want and you know what, what is kind of their needs and desires, and then kind of uh, think about how I think I can help. Ah, I love it. And you know, it's connecting to your book, and I really love your book, The Minds and Serendipity. So I'd be happy if you can share about what is the Minds and Serendipity? And what, what does it mean in serendipity mindset? Well, it's really the idea that when you look at the world and when you look what makes people successful, a lot of times people would say, 
oh, I was a bit luckier here, I was a bit luckier here. And what I found fascinating is, you know, over the last kind of 15 years of my work with purpose-driven leaders and, and others, some people would just be much better than others to cultivate this, this, this serendipity, this, this active luck, this, this unexpected good luck that, um, that happened. And so I got really fascinated by the question, is there something that's different from blind luck? Because blind luck is the kind of luck that just happens to us, right? It's kind of being born into a nice family, things like this. We can't choose this. So that's the kind of, that creates a lot of societal inequality because it, it differentiates kind of people who were born into, you know, good things versus born into bad things. And then there's serendipity, which is active luck, smart luck. And so to give an example, imagine you're in a coffee shop and, uh, you know, if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you spill a lot of coffee. So imagine you okay. spill coffee over someone and that person looks at you slightly annoyedly, but you sense there might be something there. You don't know what it is. You just sense there's something there. Now you have a couple of options, right? One option is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with the person? Another option is you start that conversation and that person turns out to become the love of your life or your co-founder or you name it. The point is our reaction to the unexpected, making the accident meaningful is what serendipity is about. And so in serendipity mindset is both a daily practice and a life philosophy that says, you know what, you can build a muscle for the unexpected. You can build that muscle that allows you to make more accidents meaningful. But also, and we can talk more about that probably also, you can create more meaningful accidents. You can create more of these positive coincidences in your life, which first seems counterintuitive, right? How can you make a coincidence more likely? But at the end of the day, this is about probability. And that means we can increase the chances of having that kind of good luck. You know why, why I really connect to your, your book and Paradigm You Bring? Because I will tell you my personal story. In the past... I was grown with great parents, but overprotective parents, you know, and I embraced a belief system that life are really scary out there and I need to guard myself. I adopted a automatic behavior to say no to every new opportunity that came my way, right? And this exactly the opposite of serendipity. So along the journey, when I embraced mindfulness and opened up and adopted a beginner's mind and accepting reality. So one example of myself for serendipity a few years ago, I was invited to help a colleague uh, in the course of mindfulness in Tel Aviv University. And my automatic behavior said, no, I don't need to come. I only, I finished my PhD. This is my expertise. Why should I come? You know, my, my brain starts working, my automatic behavior. And then I pondered on it and I said, no, I will go against my automatic behavior and I will go with sister. And, you know, in the last meeting, there was a professor of innovation that opened a second, a master degree in Hong Kong in Poly University called Executive Innovative Leadership. And he actually invited me to teach there. And I think this is a great example of serendipity, right? Because I was active and I embraced this yes and this created this opportunity. Otherwise, it, it created a leap in my career. So I think it's amazing because I think what you're bringing now to the world, it's actually a new mindset of living life in organization and out, right? In navigating them. And, and the reason why I love your example also is because I think it's so true, right? That in a way, a lot of times when we look at life, we look at the kind of negatively unexpected. We expect the negatively unexpected, right? So you you cross the street when there's a green light, but you might still look left and right because you don't fully trust that people actually stop at the red light, right? And and what if we did exactly the same for the positive things, right? That we open our eyes to it. I mean, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples there is is the 
you know, this, this kind of lucky, unlucky people that lucky people tend to find more money in the street because they tend to look for it. Like once you start looking for that, there could be money in the street, you tend to find, I find a lot of money in the street because I expect it mostly pennies, unfortunately. So it doesn't help my lifestyle, but people drop a lot of money, but we don't tend to see it because we don't look there. Right. And so once we open our eyes to the unexpected, we start to see it more often. Kids find a lot of money in the street. Um, yeah. they, they don't expect it to not be there. You know, I, I remember as a kid, I found it. Then I went to the neighbors to ask who, who left the money there. So, you know, <laughs> it's a bit naive, but okay. <laughs> so I think, first of all, when I heard your definition, it's actually about being proactive, right? Because you have a lot of opportunities and uh, accidents, but if you're not aware of them and you no, don't do anything there, because like, it reminds me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I met a big manager in Israel that really connected to the team of my PhD, I saw him and I was phased up. I couldn't approach him. As you said, afterward, I was telling myself, why didn't you do anything? Why weren't you active? So this is something I increased in my day-to-day to be more active. So I think it's really connect to our ability to be proactive and embrace this moment and to be mindful to them. Otherwise, we miss them, you know, as you talk about the money. And, you know, for our listeners that, okay, starting to love the idea, okay, what does it mean? What do you think they can do differently in order to see these opportunities, in, in order to nourish these serendipity opportunities? I, I feel that there's two levels to it. One is the, the deeper level. That's the psychological level of, you know, I'm a big fan of thinking about when could serendipity have happened, but it didn't in my life, right? So when was I, for example, in a meeting and I had this unexpected idea, but I didn't bring it up because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel X, Y, Z. Or when did I bump into this amazing speaker at a conference, but I didn't chat to them because I didn't feel I wanted to bother them, these kind of things, right? And then thinking back to those and thinking about what is the pattern behind this? Is there something that is always because of the same thing, right? So for example, in my case, it might have been fear of rejection you're afraid of rejection. So you don't, you see the opportunity in the unexpected, but you don't act on it because you don't feel ready, worthy, X, Y, Z. You know, I I used to think about what's the worst thing that can happen if you do it, right? So the worst thing that can happen if you do it, of course, is the sting of rejection, right? The kind of, I don't have time for you. That's a bad idea, whatever it is. But then I realized, no, that's not the bad thing. The worst thing is that feeling of regrets when you walk outside and you think for days and days, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with a person, right? And so it's really kind of that reframing um, that I think is on a deeper psychological level that takes time. And then there's the kind of other level of more direct kind of immediate practices. And, and the book is also a lot about this saying, hey, look, at the end of the day, there's practices, for example, like the hook strategy that you can use in every interaction. And the idea with the hook strategy is how can you use every conversation, every interaction with your team, with someone new at a conference to put a couple of memorable talking points so that the other person can connect the dots for you. Because that's what serendipity is about, right? It's about connecting the dots. Someone who does that really well is, is Ollie Barrett. He's an entrepreneur in London. And if you would ask Ollie, you know, this, what do you do question? He wouldn't just say, I'm an entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm an entrepreneur. I recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential touch points where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. We're hosting piano sessions. You should stop by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching at the philosophy of science faculty. You should give a guest lecture. And so I'm a big fan of really reflecting a little bit. What are two or three things I want to do in the future that I can just bring into every conversation? So for example, in my case, it's like, 
I want to have the book into as many minds and hearts as I can. So in every conversation, I would be like, oh my God, and I've been thinking about how to bring it into more curricula, into more this, more this. And from the most unexpected places, people would be like, oh my God, I didn't even know, you know, my aunt is running a school in Bihar, you should uh, connect with her and, and so on. So, right. And so it's this kind of thing of, if we give people the ability, the possibility to connect the dots for us, it's amazing how often they actually do that. So it's amazing because you say usually we really goal-oriented people are coming and we're saying what we need to say in order to achieve our goal, but you're actually inviting people to open their mind, their art, and to bring themselves fully and different aspects of themselves to be more humans, right? Because we're also doing stuff beyond our objectives and our goals. And then we are coming much more fully. There's more opportunity to connect in a deeper level. Otherwise, it stays only in the instrumental aspect and it's really hard to... To leverage it. Absolutely. And, and I think that's exactly the point, right? That if you think about what is life all about, like life is so much about meaningful relationships, right? And and being able to connect with someone on different levels. And, uh, you know, it's the same how we ask questions. Do we just ask, what do you do, right? And put people into boxes. Or do we say, you know, what inspired you about XYZ presentation? Or what, you know, something that is more about the person, more about what interests them, what motivates them versus the kind of box that you put people in and then you know, so I, I'm a huge fan of exactly what you just mentioned, trying to figure out what do we really have in common, especially, you know, in, in, in context where people might think, oh, we don't have a lot in common. It's surprising how much we have in common, right? A lot of us go through transitions. A lot of us might have someone who died of something, you know, and that's kind of connection points where you can then actually have a conversation that's more meaningful. Yes, this is actually why I'm so connected to what you do, because it really resonates with me, the, the essence of it. I remember that I listened to the, this podcast, to the idea of serendipity. I call it flow, kind of. I think it's connected to flow because, you know, in my work, what I'm doing with my retreats, courses, and working with leaders, I actually aspire to help them and individuals to be in a flow state of mind, meaning investing minimum effort and gaining maximum results. But I found serendipity the next layer because once we are in the flow mindset and we're in the serendipity mindset, we can keep going in this flow state of mind and seeing more opportunities and continue this flow. So it's interesting because I call it flow. And when I heard the serendipity, I said, wow, this really resonates with me. And for me, the difference was really the proactiveness in this spirit, being able to, to embrace it. And, you know, when I read it, actually, when I, I'm facilitating retreats, you know, I always say it, I see myself like kind of the tool of creating this space but it's much beyond me. It always amazes me, the people that are attending the retreat and it's something like a magic creates there because people are connected to one another in a deeper level and resonate within each other. And it's not me. I'm only creating the space for it to happen. So it's really always excited me to see the process that occurs there. So as you say, we need to create these spaces and you know, I want to move a little bit to, to ask you in the workplaces, in organizations, if leaders want to create this space for serendipity, what do you think they should do in order to make it happen? Because it's not a common theme right now. Yeah, it's interesting because in a way, when you think about it, it's exactly this, that on one hand, you want to have this kind of idea that people can anchor themselves in what feels most meaningful to them, right? So that there's a certain flow. And then at the same time, you want to have a certain sense of direction, a certain sense of where you're going as a collective, right? So that you can actually rally people and say, this is something we believe in together. This is something where we can go together. And so one of the key themes that, that has come out of our research is, you know, we did a study, for example, with over 30 
or the world's most successful CEOs, where we sat down with them and we said, what is it that truly makes you successful? And one of the key themes behind that is that they are extremely good at saying, here's a sense of direction. Here's a, a North Star. So if I'm Ajay Banga, the former CEO at MasterCard, he would say something like, I want to bring 500 million people into the financial system who were previously unbanked. So they didn't have access to financial transactions. Now that I bring them in via MasterCard, they can be part of the economic system. So they can become entrepreneurs. They can kind of have access to, to these kind of things. So that was the kind of sense of direction for, for his company. So he could rally people. But then he also said, you know what? Here's a strategy. I'm telling you already now that this is the strategy, but we will adjust the strategy based on new information are coming in. And that is not a weakness. That is part of the plan. And that's really to your flow point, right? That the idea is that if you identify things that feel better in the moment for whoever is in charge of that particular moment, then actually we adjust that strategy and that is an active process of leadership. And to me, that's really at the core. Um, Tom Lindenberg has said that beautifully, the, the CEO of Cummins, that cultivating serendipity is an active approach to leadership in times of uncertainty. Because essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I cannot give you absolute certainty because that would be dishonest. You can try that, but it's dishonest. What you can do is you can give clarity. So I can't give you certainty, but I can give you clarity. And that clarity of purpose, that clarity of where you're going, combined with a strategy that you adjust based on what comes your way, is kind of like what, what really defines those leaders. And I found that fascinating because if you think about it, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot when COVID happened right? You had these different governors, for example, in the US, right, who are running the different states. And some of them had the old school leadership approach. The old school leadership approach is to say, we're closing the state now for, you know, um, XYZ, like lockdown a couple of months, here's the exact timeline, and then we open it up. You set yourself up for failure, right? Because you, you don't have all information. So you're essentially making this just on a guess. And then once you have to adjust the timeline, you look weak, right? Or you have an incentive to hide the data. A lot of times they hide the information. Versus the new school leadership style is to say, well, you know, we have two principles, which is financial health and public health. Here's our timeline, usually the same timeline like the, the other governors. But I tell you already now, I will adjust it based on your information. And that's not out of weakness. That's actually because we want to be responsible. Now, when you adjust the timeline, when you adjust the strategy, you look strong because you told people the most responsible thing to do is to adjust the timeline based on your information. And so the long story short is that's exactly what those leaders do, that they realize at the end of the day, the unexpected doesn't have to be a threat. It can be part of our strategy because we might get better information. So that's great. But we have to frame it more actively. Otherwise, I look weak as a leader. So I really love it. You know, I couldn't agree more. You say you set the goal and then you enable things to unfold because we don't have all the data, right? You know, the wisdom. And another thing that you said before, I think it's really crucial and it's resonant with the mindfulness aspect. It's being able to listen. You gave it in the, in the beginning as an example of listening to yourself, feeling that you need to say something, but you don't say it, right? And I think it's another ability that we need to nourish nowadays to listen to our intuition and to trust ourselves in the process. And you know, it's something that I learned to do during the, my path because once in the past when I was leading retreats, you know, I felt something and I didn't say, walk with it. I didn't listen to it. I pushed it back in and then it came to me in an unpleasant way. And now in this retreat, you know, in the last retreat, I, I really felt something in my stomach, unpleasant. I, I thought that I need to open it with the group. I could continue business as usual to speak with them, but I said, no, I'm going to listen to it. And if, even that it's uncertainty how they would react and what will be with it, I decided to speak it out, talk it out and 
say, look, this is what I'm feeling now. This, it resonates with you. Where are you in this situation? And some of them really didn't understand what I talked about, but there were a few people that did. Through listening to my intuition and working with it, I connected the other people that started disengaging. So I think it's a crucial element. And I think we are living in uncertain times, right? We only increase the uncertainty in the vocal reality. So we need to learn to listen to ourselves and to work with it and to dare to show up and say, look, I don't know the exact way we need to go, but this is what I feel about the situation. What do you think about it? Creating a space, as you said. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because in a way, when you think about, when I think about the worst decisions I've made in my life, they're usually based on kind of fear, right? They are based on a gut feeling that's just kind of in terms of saying, okay, I run away, run away, right? The kind of fight or flight type thing. And then my best decisions are where I listened into my gut and then I try to get information and then I kind of, um, you know, put that together. And so the fascinating thing that, that we've seen in our research is that in a way, when you look at extremely strong leaders, what they're extremely good at is to have developed this mature gut feeling, right? So in a way, like similar to what you're describing, you're, you're trying to listen to yourself. You're trying to listen to what your gut is telling you. And then essentially you're saying, okay, but let me first now take a deep breath and then ideally get more information so that I can understand what this is about. So that my brain aligns with my, with my heart and my, my gut, as they would say. And so that's really kind of, I found that really interesting because to your point, when you have a high uncertainty environment, a lot of times you might not have all the information you need. So you have to make a decision based on the gut feeling. But, but a lot of times you can then, when you have a certain feeling, right? So imagine you're an entrepreneur, you meet an investor in a meeting. And on paper, everything looks great, right? This person seems to be the perfect investor. And then you walk out of the meeting and you feel, ah, that doesn't feel right, right? Like as a, as a weak leader, what you say is no, but the, sh the sheet says everything's fine, so I'll sign the deal. As a strong leader, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? Let me briefly find out a little bit more about the person because if I have that weird gut feeling here, maybe there's something wrong here. So let me get one more recommendation letter or um, information about the person talk with one more other portfolio entrepreneur they had just to get a feeling for, for what they're about. And then essentially you might see, oh, they're actually not the person they seem to be on paper and stuff like that. And so the long story short is I think the older we get, quote unquote, the more we tend to trust our gut, right? Because we're saying, okay, we've seen patterns. We know there's a certain subconscious pattern recognition we're seeing, but then also we shouldn't get too fixed, right? Because we also should allow for new information. I think that's kind of the balance that's so fascinating. That's right. And yes, as you said, when we listen to our intuition, it doesn't say always you need to go with it. You need to pause and try to understand, is it an automatic behavior that doesn't serve me anymore? And then I don't need to listen to it. But maybe it's a new wisdom that shows me the way forward. So we need to figure out what our intuition is telling us. And as you say, to create an alignment with what we think and what we feel and to go from a full, complete place. I, I love it. Christian, anything else that you think I didn't ask you and it's important and you want to share with our listeners? Well, I'm a huge fan of Viktor Frankl, who, who wrote this beautiful book, um, Men's Search for Meaning. And, and one of the key things that always stuck with me is his key point was always, look, the key spirit behind his work was always this idea that you cannot always choose the situation you're in. Like sometimes like really, really bad things happen, but you can always choose like how you respond to it. You can always choose what you do with that situation. And I think that's really why I'm so excited about this mindset, because essentially what you're trying to say is the kind of things that we can't control, 
let's kind of that's where you know meditation everything comes into play to kind of let that go as much as we can and then let's focus on the things we can control which is our response to it we cannot control all the things that are going on there but we can control what we respond to it and that in a way allows us to have agency it allows us to decrease this kind of anxiety of oh my god there's so much stuff happening to okay but what can i really do in this moment and that's why i love what you said at the very beginning about your own story that you really start to reframe the unexpected from a threat into a potential ally because you're saying yes in the moment this might seem bad but actually it might bring me something even better right so as an example imagine your partner unexpectedly breaks up with you right and you feel oh my god this is the end of the world life is over and everything else and then two years later you meet the real love of your life and you're like oh my god thank you partner two years ago that you broke up with me otherwise i would never have found this person and the point is right that a lot of times crises become inflection points for something but the question always is, do we let the situation define us or do we define the situation? If you define yourself as the person who was broken up with, you might stay single your whole life, right? You might still like stay that person the whole life versus if you then say, okay, you know, I'll get out there again and, and see if I can find someone else, then that becomes your inflection point to something. And that's the same thing, right? When we lose a job, when we like that question of what can we do with that moment? And I think the one thing I wanted to mention in the end is really we can obviously never blame anyone for bad luck, right? We can never blame anyone for bad things that happen to them. There's a lot of things out of our control, but this mindset is really about saying within our control, what is the best we can do with them? Amazing. I really love it. It's actually embracing the half glass full, right? Seeing what's the opportunity, what's the positivity. And, you know, we're actually in the midst of a lot of uh, letting go of uh, employees of the jobs and I had a conversation with a colleague and told me why it's really sad. I said, you know, this is one way to look at it. Another way is maybe they're fine-tuning the way and they will find something more accurate for themselves and more meaningful. So it's always the opportunity, always seeing the half glass full and looking for the opportunities to grow and evolve, even if it's not always a free choice, right? We need to to choose how to react to the situation. And uh, yes, you know, I have a lot of... Uh, Example of serendipity, another one I will give because I feel like telling you this. I went to a trip and I needed to arrange a procedure, something. So a friend of mine told me, look, my friend did it. You can speak with her. And I called her. I didn't know. And I started speaking with her. And then she told me, look, you really sound lovely. Let's meet for a coffee. This is serendipity, right? And said, I said, okay, once I'm arranging the, the procedure, I'm calling you and we're setting a coffee. And then I called her and she said, you know, I'm vegan, yeah? And she told me, look, tomorrow I have a back barbecue. Can you come? Can you come to the barbecue? I don't know her. I don't know her friends. I don't know anybody. I said, okay. And then I'm vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm embracing the, my, the serendipity mindset. And I went there and the best friend was the, the buyer of the foreign books in Stimatsky in a big book in Israel. So, you know, it was really funny. So I said, okay, I see the serendipity. So I really love, I love this state of mind because when you embrace it, it's like kind of the game, right? interesting curiosities to see what next can emerge. So I really, really love uh, what you say and embracing the, the new mindset and uh, and enjoying life, seeing it as an um, adventure instead of a, a survival more than a scary one. So I love it. I love your book. I love you you're doing so. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening to your, I'm listening to your book, but maybe also reading, also listening. Christopher, before we wrap up, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Well, the best way is probably um, serendipitymindset.com. That's the homepage. And then on Twitter, I'm at Chris Serendipity. Christian, thank you very much for showing up and uh, sharing with us your wisdom, knowledge, and research. 
Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for the very thoughtful questions. And yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.